In February 2023, the United States Department of Justice announced that 7,600 practicing nurses in the United States were operating as healthcare providers with fake nursing diplomas. Three now formally accredited colleges based out of Florida were responsible for churning out thousands of these diplomas for a cool 15 to 20 grand apiece. Just for background, in order to become a nurse in the United States, you have to attend nursing school, which means your college curriculum is accredited and certified to provide nursing students with the basis necessary to not only have a rudimentary skill set upon graduation, but more importantly, you're able to sit for the licensing exam and pass it to become a registered nurse. This test, the National Council Licensure Examination for Registered Nurses, aka the NCLEX, not only functions to license a nurse, but is also a measure of how good a nursing school program is. In order to maintain its accreditation, the program itself has to be above a certain percentage in terms of its nursing students' pass rate for the NCLEX. If a nursing school program is not able to maintain that pass rate percentage, their accreditation is in jeopardy of being taken away. That is in part what exposed these three Florida programs. They ended with terrible, terrible pass rate percentages for their nursing students. And when you start reading about what some of the investigation yielded regarding what was being taught in these actual programs, it makes sense why so many of their graduates did not pass. And in all honesty, I have even more questions for the ones that did pass. Now, while Operation Nightingale is primed for being covered by this here podcast, it's an ongoing investigation at the time of this recording. Now, I fully intend on covering it in the future, and yes, it really is called Operation Nightingale. Bless the Department of Justice, they really outdid themselves after Operation Varsity Blues. So if this episode isn't about all that, why this preamble? Well, this investigation has led to discussions of imposter nurses within the profession. It's a terrifying thought for most people, a question you never want to think about. What happens when the most trusted healthcare professional is all a ruse? Hello, everyone. My name is Kim. I'm your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host, and you're listening to People Are Wild. Yes, this is a new episode. No, it's not an interview. I am dusting off the old microphone after a long time of hibernation. Spring has indeed sprung, although not where I live because it's actively snowing right now. Gotta love it. Now, where have I been? Besides many, many states and many, many facilities, I've been going to therapy consistently. Turns out, fun fact... Working on medical podcast scripts did not help with my mental health on my days off, until fairly recently, I would say, where I actually felt like I wanted to do this again. Now, these episodes might be shorter starting off, and part of that's because with doing research, it takes me more time, so ultimately it might be better for me to break them up into parts that are a little bit shorter, so it's not as much of a drain on you listening and me researching. This episode is interesting, because on the topic of researching and doing these scripts, it's not really the episode that I originally wanted to have a quote-unquote comeback with for the podcast. I've been consistently researching and working on an episode that involves the discussion of insulin, and every time I do more research on it, the more frustrated I get. I, I don't understand how in the United States we do not cap the price of insulin nationwide already. It's a whole thing. I 
really, really strongly believe insulin should be free, but that's not what this episode is going to be about. But as you can tell, I am slowly plodding through that episode. And when you do more research on it, it just makes me more frustrated and I have to walk away from my actual research for a while. So today we're going to talk about an individual. We're talking about Bacon, Misty Dawn Bacon to be exact. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, maybe that's a good thing as you'll soon find out. She exemplifies exactly why this podcast is called People Are Wild. Let's go back in time for a moment. Do you remember the summer of 2012? Call Me Maybe had the US Olympic team lip syncing across all the sports as they competed in London. Also, the Spice Girls reunited at those Olympic closing ceremonies. And I just want to mention, off script, uh, the Olympic opening ceremonies for the 2012 Olympics were probably in my top three favorite winter op- winter sorry it's summer opening ceremonies i'm sorry i don't know why i said the winter probably because it's still snowing outside where i'm at in april i don't understand the weather in the pacific northwest anyways also in 2012 the avengers film had dominated the box office along with the dark knight rises north america as a continent experienced an intense heat wave And on a personal note, I was getting ready to start my nursing career as a new grad nurse in the Southwest. Now, over in the Southeast, in the state of Tennessee, where everything we're going to be talking about takes place, Misty Dawn Bacon was also starting her nursing career. Now, Misty graduated from Walters State College with an Associate of Applied Science degree in nursing, an ADN, and would later obtain her Bachelor of Science in Nursing degree from Carson Newman University the coveted BSN. Now, a lot of hospitals, as a side note, like to do a bridge program for people that start off with an associate's degree to a bachelor's degree. It helps to bolster them. I think it has something to do with magnet status. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty sure that's a little bit as to why they push for people to do that, even though there are nurses with ADNs who have had those ADN degrees for longer than I've been alive, and they're amazing nurses, and they'll push them into getting BSNs. It's it's ridiculous sometimes. Anyways, now, both of us stayed close to home when we started off our nursing careers. But while I've always worked in the hospital setting, Misty would work in home health, doctor's offices, assisted living facilities, and nursing home type of settings. Honestly, those specialties take a unique person just as much as it does for anyone working in a trauma or critical care aspect in the hospital. One thing you'll discover within the world of working in nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities, it's just how horribly understaffed those facilities truly can be. And that's been a constant since even before COVID pandemic times. The nurse-patient ratios can ultimately endanger patients and staff as they are held to standards of practice that are impossible to reach with consistent short staffing. I can't blame Misty for ultimately leaving some of these settings. From 2012 to 2018, she worked at eight different facilities, again, varying between those doctor's offices, home health, and long-term care. Now, being able to switch specialties within nursing is one of the cooler aspects of the profession, if you ask me. You can shift gears and cross-train or just train to a whole different specialty in general. You can go from ER to endoscopy. You can go from PACU to LND. And as long as you have somebody that is a good preceptor, you can really kind of try it out and see if you like it. And if you don't, you can always return to a unit that you did like. It's one of the cooler aspects within health healthcare is that there's a versatility within nursing. 
And I will say this, I have travel nurse friends who go between working different units in general on their contracts. I've actually done that myself. I actually can flex between an ER setting, trauma, critical care, and work med surge floors as well. Even though I get spoiled with my ratios in the ER of a four to one and go up to a six to one on med surge, I think it's a good way of buffering things and keeping other skill sets sharp while also having an appreciation for units that sometimes I get burnt out on. I mean, I'll just say it like that. You also gain more skills than you did previously as you learn about different specialties and different units. So for Misty to move around within nursing isn't really uncommon, doesn't really raise a red flag, until you realize what I said earlier. She had eight different positions in a six-year period. Now, I am going to launch a personal opinion into orbit. I think that prior to COVID, moving that many times should have been alarming to any potential employer. I think nowadays, as it is, it's not concerning because of how stressed the nursing crunch has become combined with burnout of nurses. I know nurses that have moved to different facilities at a similar pace in these COVID pandemic times in order to preserve their sanity. But this wasn't why Misty kept moving along. Misty had a secret and had to keep moving to different facilities if she didn't want it to get discovered. So there's an image out there that has Sesame Street legend Big Bird sitting in a conference room surrounded by people in business attire. And the caption says something like, this is what imposter syndrome feels like. And for a while, I would get really bad imposter syndrome moving to different facilities as a travel nurse. Imposter syndrome has had thesis statements written about it, TED Talks delivered about it, but I think everyone has had a feeling when you doubt your own abilities and your skills And you can feel that anxiety that you'll be discovered as like an imposter or a fraud. Even with years of training and experience, starting off as the new kid in a job can make you experience this to some extent. Now, Misty had to feel that way as she moved throughout Tennessee in different nursing roles. But Misty knew how to be a nurse. And while a new job can be initially overwhelming as she would have to learn the different systems and procedures, the knowledge base she could fall back on can make that transition easier. But by 2018, Misty had reached an impasse. She was exhausted. The preaching that you get in the hospitals is a lot like probably what you get in a lot of different businesses and corporations and organizations. Work-life balance. This is what you need. Try to make sure you leave work at work and make sure that your personal life doesn't bleed too much into your professional life. Maybe we can do that before the pandemic, but nowadays, I think it's practically impossible. Work-life balance is hard when you work in healthcare especially, and it takes a toll on everyone around you. For Misty, she was a single mother, and while she had a job that she loved and also paid her bills, her personal life was going under. She had a relationship that was losing steam. After trying to keep things afloat, it was done. But Misty had no idea that the end of this romantic relationship would cause her professional undoing. Whether her ex knew outright or was able to put it together, one thing was for sure. Misty's secret she had been harboring for years was about to be exposed. Her ex contacted Misty's current employer and laid out everything on the table. An investigation ensued shortly thereafter, and before she knew it, Misty was arrested by federal authorities and charged with wire fraud and identity theft. 
So what in the Jen Shaw did Misty do? Misty knew how hard she worked in order to become a nurse, and now to be in handcuffs facing a possibility of 45 years in prison? Well, someone surely had to have made a mistake. She was innocent. And Vindictive X set this off. And Misty refused to believe that she didn't do good work by helping others in her role as a nurse. In my head, this is what I think played out. Misty was being held in a room and federal authority or two walks in holding paperwork. They sit down across from Misty and her legal counsel. Introductions are made before papers are placed in front of Misty. The authorities point to certain items, and Misty answers questions under the guidance of her lawyer. It takes some time and effort, but eventually the truth begins to emerge. It becomes clear that Misty has been extremely lucky that she didn't face murder charges within the situation she has found herself to be in. Misty Don Bacon never went to nursing school. She never took any classes towards a nursing degree, never attended the school she had listed on her resume, never passed the NCLEX. In fact, she never even took it. What she did do was go on the Tennessee Board of Nursing website, and through a name search tool on their website, she would input her first and middle name, find nurses with similar names to hers, jot down their credentials and license numbers, and then use that to apply to nursing job listings. When asked to clarify why her name didn't exactly match during the interview, she would simply state that she was in the process of changing her name after a divorce, or some sort of similar story to dispel any sort of inconsistencies. And for six years, she took care of patients with absolutely no nursing experience and zero nursing school education. The investigation revealed that Misty had stolen the identity and credentials of at least two nurses. One was named Misty Dawn Vanette. And I have to imagine Misty Dawn Bacon would walk into a job interview with the George Costanza mindset of it's not a lie if you believe it. But Misty really did get lucky that she didn't kill any patients, but she certainly came close. Investigations revealed that a home health patient entrusted to Misty's care received 10 times the amount of insulin he was supposed to and had to be admitted to the hospital for three days in order to be stabilized. And apparently, Misty and diabetes were constantly at odds with each other because in another encounter, she falsified blood sugar levels that she never even checked. Towards the end of her tenure as a fake nurse, she did not properly document a patient's wounds, which in turn led to delayed management and improper wound care for that patient. But in one of the more atrocious things that happened in the wake of her arrest, she did an interview with a local news station in Tennessee to give more context as to why she did this and why she did it for this long. How Jody Ann Arias of her. During the interview, she stated she initially did this after the father of her children died unexpectedly. She was now a young, suddenly single mother. And as we all know, grief does make people do strange things, such as identity theft and healthcare fraud. She also revealed that, initially, she was concerned about patient safety, and she was concerned that she would get caught. This apprehension clearly dissipated in a rather rapid way as she kept up the ruse for years. I suspect that she kept doing it because she was already getting away with it, and she was making money to provide for her family. But in the interview, 
Misty said a quote that made me have to walk away from my computer and take a lap around my apartment to calm myself down. She said, quote, I really loved what I was doing. You were their person. You were there, and I kind of fell into that role. Wrongfully, I know. End quote. Now, Misty, come on. I had to stretch a bit from how hard I was shaking my head when that quote happened. With evidence now stacked up against her in a Mount Everest level, she did end up taking a plea agreement in December 2019. Her defense was asking for 27 months in federal prison due to the fact that she had children and grandchildren she needed to take care of due to, and prepare yourself, I do not make this up, she needed to take care of them and to get out of federal prison early because of their medical needs. Ma'am. Misty. I just... I can't. Ultimately, she was sentenced to 51 months in federal prison and three years of supervised release thereafter. She was also ordered to pay $750,000 in restitution. At her sentencing, she apologized by stating, quote, To everyone, I truly apologize. I wish I could make it better, but I can't, end quote. Now, she was sentenced in September 2020, and at the time of this recording, it's April 2023 and still snowing outside my window. Misty is set to be released sometime near the end of this year. Now, I do want to mention some things, some tidbits of note. This wasn't Misty's first brush with the law. She was already a convicted felon. This was due to the fact that she was arrested and served time in 2003 for bank theft when she was an employee at a financial institution. So for a timeline of how old she was, for those wondering, she was in her late 20s in that 2003 arrest and started her fake nurse odyssey in her mid-30s and was arrested and sent to federal prison when she was 44. Due to her not being a nurse, various facilities she worked at had to pay back health benefit programs for services that were not done and performed by an actual registered nurse. And this totaled somewhere around half a million dollars in reimbursement to those programs. And beyond that, multiple lawsuits were brewing as patients combed over their medical records to see if Misty had any interactions with them and played any role in their course of care. Tennessee as a state has been forced to reevaluate how they license nurses and how they are verified when applying for nursing positions. There have been discussions involving fingerprint verification for new hires, but this all happened during the height of COVID. So I'm actually unsure of how much revamping has actually occurred. Now, if you're in Tennessee, I definitely want to know if there are some different hiring procedures, especially if you're a person that was in Tennessee before Misty's conviction and everything and still are a nurse in Tennessee. And I'll say this, when I did work in New Mexico, I had a week to get my fingerprinting done for my start date. And I do have to wonder if it was for the verification of my license. Typically for travel nurses, and I'm speaking on that angle, you don't regularly get fingerprinted unless a state specifically asks for it. So it does vary from state to state. As of this recording, I've only had it happen twice, the one time in New Mexico and also when I was uh, hired for my Alaska assignment that I had to get fingerprinting done. Now, some of that does go into your licensure too, uh, not to get too technical, 
But when you are a licensed nurse and you're going to practice in a different state, if it's not covered by your multi-state licensure, which Alaska isn't, you're applying for a state based on endorsement. So that means that you're just saying, I've worked in another state. I have the necessary things needed. So basically you're paying a fee and sometimes you do have to get your fingerprinting done so they can verify that that's you. But that doesn't always happen, I've noticed too, especially during the COVID times. A lot of states were so desperate for nurses that they were just doing like an emergency act where you could just come to their state and work without really needing an endorsement. So I'm wondering if we're going to see some verification procedures change as a result of that. There are some discussions with the multi-state privileges expanding because of this. So it's an interesting time within the nurse verification licensure realm in general. Now, going back to this case, I do also want to give this timeline context clue, not clue, but sort of just to keep this in mind. While all of this was going on, this was 2012 to 2018 in Tennessee. At the same time-ish in 2017, that's when Redonda Vaught's med error at Vanderbilt happened. And this all kind of proceeded before she actually did face those criminal court proceedings in 2022. So I just want to say, Tennessee nurses, I know a few of you out there. I don't know if the ones that I know listen to this podcast, but if you do, you're very special to me. But Tennessee nurses in general, you guys are in my tots and pears for real though. So I told you it's going to be a shorter episode and it is, but I'm going to close this out with a wink and a nod and a nudge to an old friend of the show. You got what stuck where. Now, as it is Easter soon, I couldn't find the image to confirm, but amongst a forum of healthcare providers that shared their strangest things they've removed from patients, someone had a whole thing about, um, it wasn't a whole thing, it was two sentences, but They did relay a story that I just have to share with you guys because tis the season. So they said that somebody came into their ER one day and that they needed to have a plastic Easter egg removed from their rectum. I just don't understand the logic. And I'm thinking like plastic Easter eggs are in different sizes. So it must have been that bigger one, which to me means something was inside it. And as far as I know, In this whole posting, there was no word of any prizes or candy was inside that Easter egg. I would think like if you're the GI, the general surgeon, whatever, if you're removing that, you got to take a look in there, right? Maybe don't eat what's inside it. Yeah, definitely don't do that. This is how we get hepatitis and E. coli and all that stuff. So don't do that. But on that note, have a great week ahead. Thanks for letting me come back onto my podcast. (laughs) Thanks for listening, is what I should say. And happy Easter. Have a blessed Passover and Ramadan Mubarak to all who observe. Stay safe, stay vigilant, and practice random acts of kindness. See you next time, everyone.